We're going to give it another go. It's a bit more, a bit more zing, a bit of zing, zing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ready? Hello, hello. With a hello, no, no, hello. Wait, wait till I get through the whole thing. Wait till. Hello, with a billowing hilltop. Hello, hello. Oh dear, waiting to get through the whole thing. No, no, I mean... I thought I that was the, the whole thing. The whole thing is hello with a balloon hilltop. Okay, that's the whole thing. Yeah? Okay, okay. That was right. Uh, that pretty much sums up the show. But if you want to find out any more, you can visit us at www.billowinghilltop.com. Is it com? Does anybody know? <laughs> .org. Is it? It's .com. What do we do? What do we, what do we play? There's monsters. Um, does anybody remember? Walking around. I don't know. Yeah. And we will be delighted if you to join us around our table as we play Dungeon is it fifth edition? Hello? Yeah, we think so. Yeah. Yes. Yes. We what play Dungeons and Dragons. Sorry, that was me. I what was that noise in the background? There will be noises in the background as we play Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition through the classic Paizo adventure path, the Age of Worms. You can expect this. No! Quite a bit of this. Um I'm completely lost. This. This. I've got a bugbear in my underpants. And one of these. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> we're on Apple Podcasts and we're on Spotify and we're on TuneIn and you can find us on Twitter and you can find us on Facebook. Uh, and we uh, hope you join us. Thanks very much. Let's add some wealth to the chest. Hello everyone and thank you for opening the Ironbound Chest. My name is Austin Moraga and today I'm joined by Ryan Mossberger, cast member of Dice Populi. Hey everybody, how's it going? <laughs> how's it going man thank you so much for joining me as i uh as i said to you and we were talking a bit before hitting the old record button i really do appreciate you taking the time out come do this with me i know people people are are busy a lot of times and everything uh so i do appreciate it no i thank you for for asking me to do this i i like i said before i am a pretty big fan i binge listened to the first couple episodes of your podcast uh on a road trip and I thought it was, I thought it was so, it was honestly one of the best conversation kind of podcasts I've listened to in a while, not even counting like in the realm of D and D, but it was just <laughs> a solid, honestly, really good, like interview podcast. So I was like really excited when you put out the open call, I was like, sign me up, please. <laughs> oh yeah. Like I, two things, one, I'm blushing. Thank you so much. Oh, so much welcome. kind words. And two, yeah, like that's like something that's really important to me that I want not just you to know, but like listeners to know, like if you want to contact me on Twitter, please do so. I will chat back with you. Or like if ever I have another open call, please submit something because I don't plan on just doing like one season of this. I want to do like 10. I don't know. But <laughs> as long as they'll let you, right? <laughs> as long as they'll let me, as long as they'll legally let me, as long as I'm not breaking any rules or anything like that, which I don't believe I am, but you never know these days. 
Yeah, that's true. You never know. God, how dark it <laughs> yeah. would be if if the if people are uh, knocking on your door to arrest you for an interview podcast about Dungeons wow. and Dragons. <laughs> that would be the day where I'm like, okay, I really don't want to live on this planet anymore. Yeah. I'm going to space. <laughs> oh man. With the amount of D&D material I own, it would be very hard to get rid of it in a way that wouldn't be noticeable. <laughs> it would weigh down the spaceship that it couldn't leave Earth's orbit. <laughs> you like, think I'm joking, sorry. but I, I'm looking at bookshelves and boxes full of like AD&D because uh, all this stuff is in my den. So if anybody's going to get, if anybody's a perpetrator, it's definitely me. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool, man. I wish I owned as much D&D stuff as like other people I know. Because like I and I've said this on my some of my first few podcasts, like I don't have years and years of experience or or, you know, a, a lengthy history of D&D. Like I only started a few years ago and I've just now bought my first two actual uh, published campaigns from uh, fifth edition. The, it was cool. Dungeon of the Mad Mage and Descent into Avernus. Ooh. And I am trying to run one of them, Descent into Avernus, but uh, like I mean, I own the source books and all that good stuff, but I, the only other thing I own is my mother gave me this big cardboard box one day. She's an antique dealer, so she gets a lot of weird old stuff, and it had a bunch of the old, like, I think it was AD&D. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, That's source books. About. It was like monsters and deities and like a, a player's handbook and the Dungeon Master's Guide even including some someone's like original DMs binder, like at, at, it has original character sheets that That's were written in about. notes. It's so cool. That's the uh, coolest also. Stuff. It is the coolest stuff. But one of the things I liked was she gave me like it's got to be at least like fifty issues of Dragon Magazine, like old seventies and eighties issues yeah. of Dragon Magazine. Those are pretty cool. Like I have maybe ten. I don't have a ton of them. I uh, I found them here and there. I, I collect Dungeons and Dragons books, so I've whenever I see them and they're like reasonably priced, like a dollar, I'll pick them up. But yeah, some of them have like because yeah. re- that's uh, back when they were making all the art for everything. A lot of their art yeah. was getting pushed in the Dragon magazines, and I think there was a Dungeon mm-hmm. magazine also. Um, so yeah. a lot of the really cool art they have is all over those covers on the inside. They had yeah, little adventures in there. It was really cool. It's really beautiful. I love it. Also, I just love the fact that if you scour enough of them, you're like, okay, here's where they introduce like a spell that's lasted t- until fifth edition or like here's some yeah. more that's now completely published everywhere. It's so cool. I love that. Do you want my dragon magazines? I'll send them to you, man. Oh, I mean. If, if you're offering, I mean, I'll, I'll take it. Sure. I'm, I'm <laughs> well, definitely offering. Uh, maybe, maybe hold up. Cause we're actually about to move. If I, if I can delay the offer, cause we're about to move next month, actually. Sorry, man. Texas. These are going hot. No, These are going hot, Ryan. Sorry. <laughs> a lot of, <laughs> For free, a, lot of no, no. a lot of prospective buyers on magazines <laughs> from the seventies and eighties, you know? Uh, yeah. but no, yeah. So me and my wife, we're actually moving to San Antonio at the end of September. Oh, wow. And I've been told if I collect another box of stuff, it will be burned. So, oh no! <laughs> well, no, not, so, not yeah. in such mean words. It makes her sound mean when when I say that. But it's just it, you would understand if you looked at my den and saw the bookcases and the cardboard boxes full of Dungeons and Dragons stuff. I have a problem. <laughs> I think I would understand from both perspectives of like you being like, I love this. This is such cool, you know, memorabilia, such cool, you know, pieces of art and and written material. But also the wife's issue of just like, 
We have no room. <laughs> we have Stop no room. now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So luckily, uh, I, I live in the DMV area, like right next uh, in Arlington, which is a really expensive place in oh, Virginia. Nice. So we can actually, for like the same amount of rent we're currently paying for like a one bedroom with like a den, we can get like a very nice, relatively spacious house. So my nice. wife has her eyes on me just getting an office and just putting all this stuff in there so it's out of eyesight man (laughs) that's gonna be so cool for you though like that's gonna be like just like you walk in there and just like "Ah, it's time it's mine it's it's, consume it's It's yours i I was actually really bummed i found out in san antonio they don't really have a lot of like basements i was hoping for like a basement i want to (laughs) say workshop but more like just a dungeon where i'd have all my my stuff out and i've you know i started looking into like those big old gaming tables like how how much like how much would i have to save up to get one of these you know like of course covid will put a delay on that for some time you know but yes yes that's the unfortunate thing i I, I don't know. I don't want to brag, but like I was lucky enough to have one of my players. We met all my group. Now we met recently before COVID, whatever. But like he's such a handy guy. He made our own gaming table and he was just like, you can just have this. It's a prototype. I'm like, dude, That's I feel amazing. weird. Like it's That's got so like cool. built in speakers and all this stuff. It's so cool. And like he wants to mass produce them like that's what he wants to do. So if he ever gets to that stage, I'll let you know. Yeah, give me the hookup. Yeah, like that is definitely, definitely something. I'm a I'm a very much like a work with my hands kind of guy. When I was in college, oh, yeah. I worked in a machine shop and then I oh, did wow. all this other stuff. So one of my big hopes is like if if we can get the right kind of house with like a big enough garage, I can set up like a little wood shoppy area so I can kind That'd of make so things. Cool. Uh, and making a gaming table is somewhere at the top. Like I'm, I'm going to start small, like maybe some cutting boards, like stuff like that. You know, make sure I got to I got to yeah. I got to prove that I like the habit before I like spend a bunch of money on like a bunch of stuff. But yep. one of my dream builds is to make like a really nice gaming table with like a touchscreen, like in the center of it or something. That'd be so cool. Yeah, that'd be so cool. That's so cool. The, this one that we have is like, it's got a huge TV because it's just one he had laying around that he wasn't mm. using. So it's like, it's huge. I literally have to use, oftentimes I have to use a, uh, what's it, like a, a craps, it's like a craps table stick. I don't know what you call them. Oh. <laughs> but like, like I literally have to like move like from like three or four feet away, like stretch like, over uh, just to they- move them. Whenever they show like a battlefield in an old movie and they have one of those little yeah. poker sticks that they push the forces around on. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty much that it's it, it makes me feel kind of cool. Like I am some kind of war master or something. No, that's it's intense. Cool. I love that. Yeah, I'll definitely let you know, though. Sure. I'll give you my drag magazines and I'll yeah. give you the hookups. <laughs> for sure. Just give me all these hookups. I love it. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I'm a, I am a generous person. I don't mind. And so I'm, and I'm not using these. Dragon I, yeah, I got a question. So you, you got this box of like AD and D stuff. Did you, did yeah. you catch the bug? Is there now a part of you that wants to, to make that collection bigger or are you good with what you got? So that's, that's a good question. I'll say that. Um, it definitely, it definitely made me want to not run a game of 
old school D&D or AD&D. It definitely made me want to have someone run me through because, and mind you, this was before I had this podcast, way before I had this podcast, before I listened to podcasts that do more of the old school role-playing games or game systems. And so I knew very little about it. And even just perusing through the pages in that book or the few books I had was like, what is this saying? This is like oh, literal some of them arcane mumbo jumbo. Yeah, it's like, I mean, I, I understand the concept. It's it's pretty easy to get, but just the the wordings of everything, the the minute details and stuff, it's just a bit much for me uh, yeah, because I have a hard time focusing a lot of times, I'll be yeah. honest. They're definitely like arcane in like the mm-hmm. actual, you have to have somebody who has played the game kind of run yeah. you through it because Thacko doesn't make sense off the, like off the, the, when you read about it, it's like, so what I'm trying to get to like zero, like, I don't understand what is this. And, uh, yep. there's a lot of wording. Cause I mean, this was like first generation. This was made by people that had been doing war games. So everything was like really yeah. dense and they were used to writing like that for like history nerds. And that were, had some mm-hmm. idea of how troop movements worked and all this other stuff. So the first couple iterations of this, before they actually like brought on like professional game people, they are in, intensely worded and so confusing <laughs> the one thing i mean and that lasted honestly all the way up probably into third edition because third edition um oh, yeah. while it makes some more sense than like previous editions for like simplicity mm-hmm. there was like too many options you had a, I, I lo- i'm a guy that loves options i play pathfinder but like there's so oh, many yeah. options to choose from there's so many different archetypes mm-hmm. and all these things and you have multi-classing and then you have prestige classes and then you have all these different yeah, types yeah. of checks you can do and all these knowledge the checks that you have and I, one thing i will give uh, for the more recent editions is they really simplified it down and honestly if you read the book uh, even we don't have to read the book, just read a chapter to the book for how to play. You can pretty much put it together. You wouldn't feel you wouldn't feel like a out of place at a table after reading like a one or two chapters of the player's handbook. Um, oh, yeah. But for the old ones, no, you'd have to. Somebody has to show you how it works because it's it is arcane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to tie this in with this month's topic, which I just realized we've been talking for like 15 minutes and have yet to get no, into any questions, <laughs> but I am like totally enjoying this combo right now. So I don't care. But like it is almost very frustrating for for people who are so used to the newer editions to try to dive into it, like you said, without someone there to guide you through. Oh yeah, And for sure. like it was my episode with John from Tale of the Manticore because he has his own one man D&D podcast that he does with, I think it's AD&D. Yeah, I think and yeah, he's old I school. I love yeah. his podcast. He is old school and I love, I absolutely love his podcast. And, and just listening to that podcast and then having that discussion with him really makes me want to and I told them this on the interview but it really makes me want to like go through a game like that because it's so gritty it's so like if you've ever if you're familiar with the game Dark Souls or those kind of games yeah (laughs) it's so like you got like one life man you were weak as hell and you will probably die. Like it's a guarantee that someone will die probably very yeah. quickly. And I yeah. like that idea. It was a different time. Like you would die. You, you, the stakes were usually pretty high. You would always, the death was always an option. There was never like, oh, well, we got the mm-hmm. cleric with the revivify. There was some of that in the earlier editions, but not nearly as much. And then yeah. there was also, 
it's like a different time. You like, you weren't as connected with your character. I feel like back then, because you knew death was around like every corner. Um, you knew so you not grow, to get attached. Yeah. Yeah. So there was like a healthy detachment. I played a little bit of two E when I was a kid and there was like, ah, yeah, I like this character, but it's, like I know it's not it's probably going to die next game super easy for like something cuz like there were there were so many effects and like spells could just instantly kill you if you fail to save um mm-hmm. that there you didn't you really wouldn't have a chance like if you ever played was it Tomb of Horrors uh that old school I Gary know Gygax, you're talking like mega about. dungeon sorry there's a ton of stuff in there where oh I pick up the jewel dead so like no i think i can't remember if there's a save or not but i think in the original one it's like if you pick up the jewel you have to make like a super high (laughs) save or you're instantly basically wiped from existence oh my god Um, and there's tons of stuff in there like that like was it the hidden shrines of like tamo chan there is a timer Mm. basically there's a like caustic gas that's filling up and taking away your hit points like every minute or couple of minutes so you had a basically a timer on how long you could live in there and if you didn't figure out the puzzles or you didn't figure out one thing or another or you got caught up trying to do something dead and that, that's geez. your character it reminds me of the old school computer games or even like you know just early console games like way way back in the day yeah that would do the same thing like you weren't given any clue really to what's going on and it and it kind of required you to converse with other people who'd played the game like hey man when you get to this hallway make sure you turn left like three times and then turn right and then you'll be able to continue or or just weird stuff like that where people people just for through trial and error you figure figure this out so i found out there's a reason why they used to make those games like that it's because they'd sell the game and then about a month afterwards they would sell the player's guide so if you wanted to figure out, cause some of them are really weird. I remember I've played one or two in my past, but I was listening to a podcast that talks about games. It's like, how did this get played? Mm-hmm. And they were going over it. And then one of them talked about, it. I was like, there'd be no way. Cause she, she was, she remembers playing it back when she was 10. It's like, I only learned about this from a friend who bought the book. And like, I can't remember the exact issue, but you had to basically at the beginning of the game, you had to pick up a very specific item. And then Mm. there's no way to come back to that point. Like you had to pick up a gumball or something like that. And then you had to basically have that on your person, the entire game, and then like give it to a monster as it's attacking you. And then (laughs) something weird would happen and it would just run away in the forest. But otherwise, if you didn't know that there's no way for you to continue. So if you didn't pick it up at the beginning of the game. So that's what it's, it's kind of, it's kind of an interesting, like, economic move on the part of the uh, the game maker to make it so confusing yeah. that they have to buy the strategy guy <laughs> oh god yeah definitely it definitely opened up i think a lot of whenever people started to get more into computers or those types of games you know i think it just furthered that idea for for people who run or ran games like D or other things like that I'm just like how the hell can i screw with my players yeah. you know like i'm just like <laughs> what could i do to really make them go huh what can I do to just to do this? see the terror in their eyes as all their hopes yeah. and dreams fade away? Don't you? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you're, you're right. You're, you're laughing, but you're so true. Like, and, and again, even though I don't know much about early editions, I do know, you know, through conversing and just through what I've seen and heard, like fifth edition really does hold your hand a lot of times. Oh, no, and for sure. that's, that's totally fine because, you know, I think that they want to have more of you know a storytelling experience a narrative experience where people come together through teamwork you know you are 
the hero. You, you, they want you to be the important person because who doesn't like that? You know, who doesn't want to be the person who saves the day a lot of the times? Cause it makes you feel good. You know, it makes yeah. you feel happy. I think a lot of it too is like, I think older editions are set up to be really gamey. Like there is a hard mm. win, hard lose condition just because it was made by people that were breaking the ground on it. But I think yeah. if you were to play in a lot of homes back then, they wouldn't, I don't think they'd be that different from how they're played now. It's just, they weren't set up from the get go. It required a lot of work on the part of the person, like the DM setting it up to make it a little bit more comfy for the players. So I think as time went on and more people that grew up playing it, you know, cause if you play with your dad or you play with your uncle or somebody older, who's a DM, they don't want to deal with like a bunch of screaming kids because their entire party died (laughs) uh, and they got really attached to their characters. So they probably ended up making it a little bit softer in a way. And those people that grew up with that started also DMing games and getting jobs in the gaming industry. And they kind of built those adventures the way that they liked to play them. So I think, I think it is almost like a, a shift in perception going from a war game where there needs to be a really hard winner and a hard loser. There is no, Oh, we're mm-hmm. in this together to well, we are all into this together there. You know, me yeah. as the DM, I don't have to be against you. You as the player, you're not trying to be against me either. We're just trying to tell a story together. Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the biggest, probably one of the best things about five E and, you know, people have issues with 5e because there maybe there's other systems that do this, the role play and storyteller aspects of it baked in a little bit better. But I mean, mm-hmm. 5e really broke the mold with making it. All right. This is very much a vehicle for you guys to sell for for everybody to tell stories, not right. to have a bunch of winners and a loser. I mean, th- there is a reason why fifth edition is pretty much like the king of ttrpgs right now not just D, but i think fifth edition is probably the most popular version right now oh yeah i um, think that's i think for sure yeah and i mean but you have different factors you know helping that along you have so many different podcasts that are so popular you have shows like critical role oh yeah you have such you know even just like celebrities who are like yeah i love D. like i like playing fifth edition yeah, even like stranger things, things just that kind of like yeah that's true. shot in the arm into pop culture like oh yeah yep. you know these kids are playing D. what's that about and i think <laughs> there is this you know, just a few years ago even i had it at a certain point when i was in college i was like oh, i don't want to play that nerd stuff anymore like i don't get it <laughs> and i think there is that kind of notion well it's like just a bunch of nerds and it's going to be boring and it's going to be mm know just a, a bunch of dudes sitting somewhere um sweating and and honestly i mean there's still sweat like if it's hot you're gonna sweat but uh, oh my god yeah it, it's 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 a really fun way especially if you're a social person ca- to meet up with people and have something goal oriented like oriented yeah and just have some structured kind of fun with your friends you know board mm-hmm. it's 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 only one degree of separation between D and a board game if you take the board yeah. game seriously enough, you know, so it, it, yeah, it's weird that, that I've, I've heard, you know, in the past certain, not really certain people, but just like, there is almost that kind of like contention of like, Oh, D D is not a board game. It's a role playing game. And like, no, you still use a board a lot of yeah. times, you know, you don't have to, <laughs> but you do a lot of times. So that makes it a board game. And but yeah, I, there it's so important because you do have those social aspects into it. And depending on how you play a board game, I mean, any board game you play 
could be a role-playing game. If you play Pandemic, you can take Pandemic really seriously and get into the role of being a person trying to save the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, it's it's, it's really just up to you to kind of act that out. I mean, really any board game you can play. I mean, maybe, I mean, chess would be hard, but you could get really into chess and kind of act out your scenes if you really wanted to. I was Um, thinking of like the weirdest thing. I think you could even like put Candyland in that spectrum of just like you can role play yourself as a candy person in Candyland <laughs> exactly. and just totally get into it, you know? Yeah. Cause I mean, that's really, cause that's really the biggest aspect of five E there's some rules, but it's really allowing yourself to kind of jump into your imagination a little bit. Um, yeah. Cause I mean the rule, I mean, you could put those rule. I mean, cause I don't know if you ever played like Gloomhaven, Gloomhaven's a board game and it's set up to be mm. more or less like Dungeons and Dragons, but you don't need a DM. It's kind of DM list system where you just kind That's of pull cool. cards and kind of let fate decide some of the things that happen, but you set up the board. Everybody knows what the board's going to look like. I think everybody does. There might be one person that knows what the board looks like, but it's, it's only, it's pretty similar. You could role play that. You could not role play that the same way. If you really wanted to in Dungeons and Dragons, if you didn't want to role play at all, be like, all right, I sell my, I sell my stuff. I go to the, uh, the King, I I give the head of the monster and then we're going to head back out. Or (laughs) you could spend a whole session role playing all those interactions. It's really up to you. That's awesome. Well, twenty <laughs> twenty five minutes now, and I have yet to ask you my golden question. So why don't I ask you my Sorry. golden question, sir? I'm ready for it. Oh, you're ready for it. Good. What do you treasure most about D and D? I think my biggest thing one is I really cherish because I'm kind of a all over the place person. I'm a very social person, but I work best in like small to medium groups, I tend to get a little overwhelmed with like large groups of people. And I tend to get a Mm -hmm. little overwhelmed if there isn't some kind of activity at the center of it. I kind of just lose focus. And I don't know if I, you know, I got tested for AD&D as a, or AD&D, ADHD (laughs) as a kid. (laughs) Hey, me me too though. I, yeah, me too. And I was borderline. Like if I had, I think there was, I was right. They told me that I was right at the borderline. Basically, if I had done one thing more, I would have like a very minor case of it. And I think that that shows a little bit where I need something to focus attention on. So AD and D or not AD and D, but any form of Dungeons and Dragons or tabletop role playing game gives me that focus. <laughs> it gives me a set of rules. I can understand yeah. the social interactions I have with people. I can have interaction with the people outside of that. You know, if something, if there's a low spot or somebody we're taking a break, I can talk to somebody and talk about the day yeah. and all the other stuff, but it gives a really focused thing for me to enjoy with my friends. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like a scheduled play date with friends, which I, I kind of appreciate as a DM. I find it's a lot of fun to kind of weave your story and see the enjoyment in people's faces as they play. Cause I think as yeah. a DM, the, the, the real thing that really sets me off as a DM is like once every maybe two or three sessions, there's a moment where everything kind of like locks together. You know, somebody remembers a, like a clue you laid back a couple separate sessions ago, or they mm. figure out a puzzle or they get a, like a really, really clutch critical hit on like the boss for that one. And everybody's oh, yeah. enjoying, everybody's laughing. Everybody's like, yeah. And then you find yourself being like really excited. I live for those moments. I live for that kind of joy that a table can bring to mm-hmm. the game. 
if I had a, it would be those two things I would probably cherish the most. One, the structured activity with my friends and also just bringing any amount of joy and like that kind of completeness that of a moment that you can only really put together sometimes as a DM. I, those are just the best feelings in the world to me. Yeah, that's great though. I, I like that. I haven't really thought about that. It does for me and, and I'm sure for a lot of people too, like it does kind of help me focus in on a lot of things because I, I was prescribed medication as a child for years up until like mid college for my ADD and until I got into D and D after I got off of the medication, like I would just, it wouldn't be like I was bouncing off the walls, but my mind would be just going from thing to thing to project to project to this, to that, you know? And like, once I started like DMing and really working in D and D, I'm like, I just am like zeroed in like pinpoint, like this is what I'm doing right now. And I could do it for hours and I think it's it's something that should be really considered for, you know, more of a focus oriented activity because not just as a DM, but as a player, you can get so much things out of D&D because it's such an outlet for diff- many different facets of creativity and just social interactions and just things like emotions, like our topic for this month, you know, and it can just it can be so helpful, I think. Yeah, I think. I, I definitely think it could be a useful tool for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I, I've heard of people doing that too, but not just like people just, you know, that need a little help getting like social interactions down. I've heard that D and D is really useful because you have a set rules and because it's fantasy and because there's no, you know, you can't hurt anybody. It's a good way to test out like, Oh, I'm going to say this thing to this King or this person. What, what is the response? And there's no harm done because you're just a character acting up out something. And I think yeah. there is that, that opportunity to fail without their, like everybody in the room looking at you, like you're a monster or you said something mm-hmm. of, like, necess- not necessarily offensive, but maybe you just like put your foot in your mouth a little bit. I think that's really <laughs> helpful to people. Yeah, definitely. I think you're reaching some really good points there. And especially too, because if I can add something to that, it's like, you don't have to worry about someone, you know, real reacting emotionally to whatever it is you're trying to do i mean like sure the dm will role play something out but it's not like it's a lingering lasting thing you know and you don't have to leave that table with such if you social anxiety so so social anxiety yeah like me i i pretty much like if i'm not interviewing people or playing DD, i am like a shut-in like i don't really want to talk to people i'm very much a loner and like but once I get into D and D, it's like, yeah, this is all make believe. I don't have to worry about really offending someone and taking those emotions with me into the real world, you know. And I think if you do, then you might need to take a step back from the gaming table and kind of reevaluate kind of what's going on a little bit, though. Yeah. So my wife is like that. I have the opposite problem. I tend to not think about at all what I'm going to say. And then just (laughs) blather it out, which is its own issue. But my wife, she's like a very sensitive person. She's really worried that she's going to offend somebody or she's going to come off a certain way. And I mean, she, I think, I think she would like the, that opportunity in Dungeons and Dragons to like be able to play out some situations where there's no pressure, but I don't think I've tried playing with her before. And she kind of applies that pressure to herself a little bit. She doesn't want to seem like a person at the table that doesn't know what they're doing. She doesn't want to seem like a drag. So I think I'm trying to get her to play 
in like a very low intensity way. Uh, like recently yeah. I was able to, we were able to do a bonus episode for Dice Populi. It won't be recently, I guess, when this comes out a few months back. And it was for a one pager <laughs> RPG called Sexy Battle Wizards. So, <laughs> it, you know, if, you, if anybody's ever played a one page RPG, it's usually really rules light. There's like a couple things you can do. It's mostly acting stuff out. And I think she really enjoyed it because there wasn't this kind of emphasis that you had to know all the rules. And if you didn't know a rule, you know, I was going to be stern with her, which I never would be. Yeah. But I think she really enjoyed it. And there is kind of that near the end, she was kind of getting to a point. It's like, well, I can just kind of say and do whatever I want and it doesn't matter. So she kind of just did and said whatever she wanted. And I think she had a blast. Yeah. I, I just got to try and get her into a, a bigger D&D game or something a little more long form. But yeah, yeah, I think for her, like social anxiety for like, did I say the wrong thing to that person? Are they going to like hate me now? And I think there's a yeah. lot of people that are like her that, really worry themselves over things mm. that maybe the person they were talking to doesn't even remember five minutes later. It's an interesting thing because yeah, everyone will take this game differently. You know, I mean, there's, there's no right or wrong way to play this game by any means. And there's no right or wrong way for people to react to this game. So it's, I think it's definitely okay for her to feel like that, but yeah, I, I love the fact that you were wanting to really help her out with that. I think that's really endearing. Oh, yeah, I'm also it's it's a little selfish. If I can bring her more into Dungeons and Dragons, that means I get to play more Dungeons and Dragons because Hell then yeah. instead of Dungeons and Dragons being a separate activity, it can now become a husband and wife time as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if it works go. out, it works out, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. We had talked a bit before we recorded that uh, you're not only a player in Dice Populi, but you also DM some other games and stuff like that of your own. And I think you said you already DM'd one for Dice Populi, or am I uh, getting that oh, wrong? No, yeah, you got that right. Uh, so for Dice Populi, each one of the players that are in it is, if they haven't gotten a chance to DM, will. So I've uh, Colin has DM'd. He DM'd like the first intro short series of it. So each one of us does an arc. I did the next, which was like, it comes in the night, I believe, mm. which is more of a maybe almost Ravenlofty kind of game kind of arc. And then we, one of our cast members who had to leave us named Josh, he did the next one, which was, I think something like Turtle Island or something like that. I can't remember. Like it was a paradise <laughs> theme. So it was, it was like a really low key kind of like fun adventure. We're kind of on a desert island. Well, like a jungle paradise kind of island and then where yeah. we're currently on now is matt's adventure which is a kind of a time travel mystery which is very it's, it's honestly been a lot of fun interesting and the next ones i believe is going to be pat and then we will see what happens from there but so each one of us gets a chance to dm so there's a huge variety like we all have different styles like my style is very locked in like i've done a ton of research i had like a small book of like plans which all got mm -hmm. like basically destroyed i won't put out any spoilers but something big happens and basically throws out my entire idea but josh who is the next who had like the the paradise arc he mm -hmm. does something which he calls jazz dming which is very low preparation he has a couple plot points he wants to get to he has a place and he just lets us take over and he just rolls nice. with the punches and it, so, you know, while mine has a lot of like hard turns and a lot of hard consequences, his is more a little free flowing. He kind of lets the dice tell the story. Interesting. So each each one's a little different in terms of how the DM does it and also just the general story. Oh, very interesting. I like that. I, I would consider myself 
more with the jazz DMing too. I, I just, yeah. I just so much easier to prep and everything. I've kind of adapted um, to it because I used to stress over having at least a couple pages prepared before a game. Like I would write yeah, out a yeah. couple pages of things that would happen. And now I could probably do it in a couple paragraphs. Just like I, yeah. I want this to happen. I have a general idea that this is probably going to be in the mix. And if they ignore it, I'll just go from there and see what happens, you know, save a lot of time. And yeah. effort. So you were saying you did one called It Comes in the Night. Sounds pretty intense, pretty like spooky. Yeah. So at that time, I was getting into collecting Ravenloft stuff and I uh, was reading some Ravenloft books, which Ravenloft, if, if people don't know, is kind of the spooky, scary setting for Dungeons and Dragons. It's the Curse of Strahd setting is Ravenloft. It's really set around. They arrive on an island. They find out that some things, something's really weird. So basically as they approach the island, they, all the, these villagers like come up and are like trying to get on their boat. And uh, as they kind of parlay onto the island, they find out that some monster is coming like every second or third night and wow. just ravages through homes, kills one person and then just disappears. And it's been doing oh it for God. months at this point. So a huge portion of the village, one, they basically immediately escaped on their boats and never came back. And then another portion was just been slowly but surely getting whittled away. So they come in the scene where like the the town's at a breaking point um, and they kind of have to navigate through the political stuff because there's a like a king that's really there for their own self-interest and want to kind of just get this thing over with. They don't really care about the players or the people to a certain extent. And then they kind of like find out there's more to this monster than meets the eye. And then Mm -hmm. a really big basically earth shattering cataclysm happens because of a wild magic surge and it completely changes the tone of the, so one of the players has a uh, big spoilers for dice populi. If you don't want spoilers, maybe skip like 30 or skip a minute or two, but basically (laughs) due to a wild magic magic surge, one of the players, there's an effect where basically like a 40 foot radius or 30 foot radius it does like one D eight necrotic damage and Whoa. they happen to be trying to get all of these townspeople together and put them in a church. Well, the person, the, the character that had that wild magic search was like 10 feet outside the church. And I had just said there was like 80 people trying to like push their way into this church as this beast arrives on the scene. Oh, no. So sh- this, and the character plays a like eight year old girl called Maeve. She does the wild magic search and ends up killing like 80 villagers point blank so completely changed which at this point in the story is a significant portion of the town about a third of the entirety of the town is now dead from one thing so it changes the tone i have to rewrite my entire adventure and we're only like we're literally maybe like a third into it and i got like oh man i gotta go back to the drawing board all of my points are now pointless like all the things i was gonna do (laughs) So it get, it then just gets super dark after that. So it was already kind of dark, but it just poof, belly dropped into darkness territory. Um, oh, no. And yeah, it's wild. Uh, my, my adventure was probably the most messed up of all of ours, I think, which was really nice when the next arc was about like a tropical paradise where we got to do like fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> just a total 180 of just like, yeah. okay, we're going to do something really lighthearted here. Um, that's interesting though. I love that. Um, so, so something that I want to ask about that. So you say it gets dark and it just sounds pretty horrific. I find that horror a lot of times can be somewhat difficult to 
bring into a game like this that by now, you know, people know what the monsters are. There's not a lot of like yeah. unknown that can be found about as a DM. How do you try to convey this emotion, this feeling to those in these certain situations? That's a good question. I think the biggest thing is that you have to be consistent in tone. There is, I think a, the mistake would be to have a normal adventure and then, oh my God, high intensity, the monster's here, oh no, and think that's scary. Mm. Um, you have to really build something up for it to be scary. So when they yeah. were arriving at the island, they were getting like harried by flies and they could smell like the there was rot in the air and they were miles out. And then when oh, they, wow. like, I basically, we started, we ended this, uh, the session before this, like they're within a mile or so, and they're kind of got their view glass out and they're looking at the island and they notice like a bunch of people running around between shops and trying to do stuff. They're moving really fast. And then they see a person point at the ship. And then basically everybody in the village stops, stares out the water and then immediately <laughs> rushes towards the docks. And then I ended it. That was the end of like the little intro. Oh and then my they, God. So that's a super weird thing. It makes you really want to know what's going on. And then we, yeah. the next session they had to deal with basic, basically, hundred people trying to either bribe or shove their way onto the boat. So how do they get off the boat? And then basically once they got onto shore, they can't get any information from people because they don't have a boat anymore. They don't matter. They're not getting <laughs> off the Island. So they're ignoring them. But once they find out, but like people that weren't at the shore, if they find out they have a boat, they basically immediately ask, well, can you take me off this boat or can you take me off this yeah. Island? So you keep on building up all of these things of like, why does everybody want to get off this island? But you're not telling anybody what's going on. Yeah. They mean, oh, the beast, the beast. But they none of them have any information on the beast. So they're trying to figure out what's going on with the beast. And uh, so you kind of just keep on building and building and building. And before you know it, you know, everything is set. Like there's a bunch. They, they <laughs> The weirdest thing is they try to subvert it because they try to get everybody to come to like the town square for a raffle to get on the boat. Um, so they basically grouped everybody together, like, and it only comes at night and they would start to be dusk and everybody's starting to get a little antsy. And then they start forcing them into this church and things are going wrong. And then they start fighting it. And, but it's like basically just whipping their butts and they can't, they can't even oh, touch man. it almost. Um, and then the, you know, the death happens and then the guy, uh, the beast basically just disappears because his, his job is done for the evening. <laughs> like oh, he only kills so one cool. person. So I think the one thing you can do to build up that, that, tension is that mm -hmm. you you have to be consistent in your tone you have to build up to it because it's really hard to make things scary in a board game you have to yeah. you know put up put a little music on make oh, sure yeah. that if you're joking a little bit it's dark humor and then mm -hmm. keep on just feeding them bits and pieces you know make them roll a perception check just randomly and then roll a die yeah and it, maybe if they roll <laughs> high enough, they see something in the corner of their eye. But when they turn around, it's gone. Just make yeah. it seem like they're always being watched. Because at that, for my adventure, they were basically the second they got on the island, they were being watched by something. So you just kind of, kind of build those tensions, and then you have to break it where everything just goes wrong, and they are completely unprepared. And then you got to add stakes, and that stakes is try to take out a character basically point blank immediately, Oof, make it hurt. Yeah. And then you know, you don't have to kill them, just put them down. And then when they see, oh, this thing can kill us in like two hits, we're not prepared for this. And then oh, the, yeah. the beast just walks away because it's done its job. So you got to have, you got to put some stakes in there and there has to be a real 
circumstances that make them want to do better. So even if they didn't like, so if the beast didn't kill a player while they were recuperating and ran away, I would make it so that somebody they had met earlier that day was going to die. And then I made real consequences for when, when all that stuff happened in the, um, in the town square, all those people died. They were getting pushed into the church and the, the priest of that church was trying to help them and like trying to bring everybody inside. And was also telling people that they should come for this raffle. So when mm-hmm. everything went down, that priest was basically left alone by the group and he was more or less like beaten by the mob because he helped oh, trick no. them. So when they come back into town and everybody's terrified of them at this point, they like walk by the town square and I'm like, you hear some whimpering and they're like, what? We hear whimpering. It's like, yeah, you, you can hear somebody crying very silently, trying to muffle their tears as much as they can, but they're crying. And then they come across to this mm-hmm. church. It's been ransacked, completely destroyed. All the bodies are gone except for Whoa. the priest. But the priest is basically being, he's like, he has been beaten and he is hung up on a door, basically left to die. And Whoa. they're like, oh, we need to help him. We need to help him. The only issue is the second they, he's able to like open his eyes enough to see them, he is terrified of them and wants nothing to do with them. <laughs> so I really wanted to drill this kind of like pain that they had caused because if he was like, Oh, thank God you guys are here. You're going to save me. It doesn't deliver the same note as, Oh wow. We really did mess up this place. And there were consequences yeah. to our actions. You, you um, broke this guy like completely. Yeah. And I mean, there were some dark things they didn't even see. So when they killed that many people in town, it left a lot of widows. It left a lot of homeless people. It left a lot of things going on. So basically a big portion of what remained about 80 people formed together to like burn the bodies and decided that they wanted to join their loved ones and that they were basically became a suicide cult. And they were waiting for her for waiting for this little eight year old girl to come back to kill them. Because the, in the wording of the spell for that wild magic thing, basically, it seems like they're like ripping the, the life force because the person that has the surge, they get health back. So it's, it's almost like they're ripping the life force. So they wanted to join their loved ones. So they wanted to be killed by her. So they never ended up seeing them or interacting with them. But if they had come within a certain distance of this big funeral pyre, they were basically going to be harangued by a bunch of people first asking her to kill them. Second, begging them to kill, or like begging her to kill them. And then third, they would attack just so they could get killed by her. So it was going to be really dark. Uh, luckily, they didn't see that. I think it made a really dark tone for the game, but they didn't have to. They, they avoided that particular heavy, heavy circumstance. God, I just have to say, Ryan, wowie. Like, yeah, whoa. no, yeah. Wowie. <laughs> yeah. Like, damn, I want to play in that kind of a game. It just seems so dark, so gritty, so fun, like dangerous. Man, it just, yeah. it sounds amazing. Props to you. Damn. Oh, no, it was it was a nightmare to do that because I'm I, I like horror and I like horror in games. I'm also a very cheery person, I feel like <laughs> and it was I, I at that point, like, I think I was really happy when the arc ended because like, I don't know how to do this anymore. <laughs> like, I'm tired of everything <laughs> being awful. I like to because usually I will like, you know, raise up the tension, you break the tension and then there's like a release. You know, you mm-hmm. maybe tell a few jokes, maybe there's some lighthearted moments, and then you start building the tension up. But this basically just became 100% tension the entire time. <laughs> so yeah. it was stressful. I think it was stressful for them. It was stressful for me. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. It's such a, a chore for you, too, I bet, because, I mean, 
you can definitely sustain tension and horror, say, in a movie that's going to last for like an hour and a half, maybe two hours. To do that for session after session after session, those and those sessions probably lasting anywhere from an hour upwards to three or four or longer. That gets really tiring, I bet, and just such a chore, you know, to continue that you can only pull out so many tricks you know to continue something and it's (laughs) it's brutal it's just crazy i think yeah for if i if i end up doing another arc before we do something else i'm definitely going to try and do something more lighthearted and fun that's good (laughs) zero chances of village murder (laughs) (laughs) that's good though i think it'll be a good change of pace i guess oh no i'm excited Uh, so this obviously was very homebrewed so oftentimes you know as dms making a homebrew game and even using pre-written modules i think we try to include you know emotional moments like you know with yours especially you had all this horror and terror and stuff like that but i mean but there's so many other facets so many other different emotions that you probably want to elicit from your characters even if you are the one being the character you probably want to experience a whole array of different things but for you as a dm do you ever pull from real life experiences when trying to set the tone of a scene oh yeah for sure i think about for like you know if i'm trying to scope something kind of sad or exciting Mm -hmm. i try to frame it in terms of like from my past like what were the sad moments in my life like what what actually makes a person sad because there is you can see we like in movies or books you know the 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 great hero loses a battle and it's supposed to be really sad but it's really sad because somebody is telling you it's sad not necessarily it feels sad because you know the hero is going to end up winning so i always look at those moments for like what drives home sadness like oh well you know i lose somebody that i care about somebody lets you down like not just like betrays you but just like lets you down and you try yeah. to put those into terms of the game and how you kind of set up those moments is you got to like, you got to put in likable characters. You have to put people that at least at the beginning really help the characters. Like how do you build a friendship? I think the hardest part of setting up the stakes for any kind of emotional scene in D and D is making it so the characters actually care. Cause it's hard yeah. sometimes just out of spite for, the the tension in the moment they'll just dislike a character that you had set up to be their guide or um, be their best friend that was going to be like their touchstone yeah and sometimes they'll just end up picking up a random character and then you have to like go through them so i think you definitely have to set up some stakes and you have to set up why they should be sad and that there is an actual if they do mess up or something that there's actual consequences to You're you're playing with live ammo. And I think once you set that up in a game that there is a chance that they can lose. And if they lose, there are consequences. They're not just going to walk away. You start to get some real emotion because people get frustrated or they'll get, they'll get sad. It's like, Oh, I really like that NPC and I don't have them anymore. So this was, I was a player in this campaign, but we were, it was a Pathfinder game and every, it was a really cool game, but we had basically got to this big, like capital city and we were only there for like a single session. And then we got popped out to another 
uh, like quest out in the wilds that took weeks and weeks and it took and months in real time. And then we came back and basically once we came back, the city was under assault by a bunch of zombies. And then basically the whole like the whole city got destroyed. And then I think yeah. the DM wanted that to be like a really emotional moment, like to see all the destruction. But we didn't really care because we'd only spent like honestly in game, maybe a day or two, but in real time, maybe an hour or two. Yeah. So we didn't have any connections with anybody there. We didn't have like any solid contacts or contacts or assets there. Like we didn't have any ties to it at all. So it kind of, while it was a cool moment in the terms of like an action movie, we had zero, I I didn't have an emotional moment for that. So my advice would be make sure that you're setting up some stakes, make sure that you're planting people that you care about in these stories. And it's not just some bland NPC. If you're going to take something away, it has to feel like you're giving some, you have to take something away. You have to give them something in the first place. That would be my, if you want to, if you want to bring around those realistic moments of like sadness and tension, you have to, you have to plan something out a little bit to give them something first. Yeah. If that makes any sense, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit. No, 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 you're not. You are making a good point. It's making me think of like ways that I can better utilize that. Because I mean, for me, I, the way I DM is, uh, like I said before, it's, it's very loose. I've I've learned to just be loose because it's more enjoyable. Like I'm not, since I am doing just a home game, I, and the people I play with, we're there to have fun. We're there to relax. They don't really, I think, give a rat's ass too, too much about like, such emotional responses or moments even though you know it's it's certainly something that should be experienced though and and you can get something out of it like we've said before but like it's just i'm very fast and loose and i don't often set things up to come to fruition in the future so that it you know really affects something about them as a character too much or more Mm -hmm. so just as a player you know and i'm just from your talking i'm just like trying to think of like you know i want to i want to do more of that because it's more interesting i think to have that but question for you about this you know and in terms of emotions and stuff so do you do you ever insert narration on like how pcs are feeling at a moment like do you as the dm insert them like and you're probably feeling you know very frightened right now or you're feeling very Mm -hmm. happy that this is happening or do you let them, you know, take in the information that you're giving them and expect them to react thusly? Uh, maybe a little bit. I usually let them feel it unless I'm trying to like say they're having like a connection. Like if I'm like if there's a cleric or a warlock and they are like meeting their patron or they're like having a dream that's really lucid. I will maybe mm-hmm. kind of explain it to them just so they have like a base level of like what to expect. It's like, Oh, you're in this inky black void and you have this cold shock running up your spine and your, your mind is filled with these voices and you can't, you're so scared that you can't even open up your mouth. Like I'll, I'll paint it in that way. Otherwise I'll do it. If they ask me like, Oh, I approach mm-hmm. this, you know, magical seeming statue. The last thing is like, do I feel like it's okay? Do I feel afraid? I'll be like, Oh, you might feel uncertain you definitely don't know what it is or if it's like a monster it's like or they see something in the distance like a shadow moving it's like does this do i think is it moving like a human or is it moving like something else it's like oh do you maybe i'll paint it and be like oh you can see it starts out as a human but the way that kind of like hunches over and uses all fours it like that that type of motion like puts a tinge of fear in the back of your back of your mind that you kind of think this might be x 
Yeah. So I'll paint it that way, but no, I don't, I don't, I try not to tell them too much how they feel, especially like when it's hard, uh, not nothing hard and fast that way. Maybe something just to help them understand what's happening, especially if it's like a dream or a contact from their God or something like that, you know? Yeah. Just something that came into mind as you were talking about, uh, or as you were answering my question, the previous question, not this one though, just something I think about. Cause like I'll sometimes do that of just like, and you know, you, you feel angry about this, but again, it's because, you know, they're not super, super like role play heavy, which is totally fine with yeah. me. Like I love it. I love the way they play. And so like, it, I think sometimes you, you should as a DM maybe do a light working of that. Like you said, you, if they ask you a question about how they're feeling, sure, they'll do that. But like, if you are like in your, it comes at night, you know, I think it would be totally okay to just be like, you know, this is for, for, for anyone, this, these things would probably be terrifying. And, you know, if you're trying to, if this is the setting you're going for, and this is the overall theme and feeling you're trying to give this adventure, I think it should be okay to be like, you know, you are still a mortal being like, yeah, like the fear of death is probably somewhat creeping into you. So the one thing I'll say, especially for scared stuff, the, I found that the thing that takes the air out of like the balloon of tension is telling somebody that they're scared. So what I would do, what I typically do for that stuff is I explain to them what's happening to their like bodies. Cause you know, when you're scared, like you're the arms or your the, the hair on your arms starts like raise up, you can feel the goose pimples and you can feel the the tension in the back of your neck is something seems to be like wafting over it. I tend to explain mostly for scary stuff. So I feel like if it's like, oh, you're really scared. And then they're like, oh, well, mm-hmm. I'm scared. But if you <laughs> explain what they're feeling is in terms of like physical reactions that m- normal people associate with fear, then they start to kind of feel it themselves a little bit. Cause they, yeah. instead of thinking about, oh, well I'm scared. It's like, oh, what makes me, what makes the goose pimples go? Like what makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up oh like i feel like somebody's watching me or i can i can see something in the distance but i can't quite make it out so i I try a good thing yeah yeah so for for most emotions i think it's fine but if you're trying to emote fear i think that one say everything but like terrified and scared you you give the effects of it yeah Definitely. I think it's a very interesting though. So I want to take it from fear and all this stuff to something more exciting. So obviously excitation in a game like D&D is very natural. I think whether you are, you know, you've just defeated the big, big bad evil guy or you've just completed this quest and gotten a reward or even it's just like if you roll your first nat 20 of the night, you know, like yeah. you're going to be excited, right? <laughs> yeah, so exactly. I would love for you. Yeah, I would love for you to share some of your most exciting moments that you've had while playing. I think in the terms of being a DM, some of my most exciting moments are there. I uh, So I have one game that is out of the abyss. Um, so for pe- for those of you who haven't played out of the abyss, it's basically you're in the underdark. You were kind of like your players were like captured by drow or whatever you want to uh, say, got captured them and they're thrown in the underdark and they're trying to get out. And there is a moment in the beginning where you go to this Kuatoa village and everything's kind of breaking down. Like there's two sides to this village. Usually they're kind of harmonious um, and all this weird stuff's happening. And there's all these fat, there's these two factions and all of a sudden like 
you, they come up, there's a certain point where the, the Koatoa that are friendly to you come up with the plants like, oh, we're going to like pretend to give you away as sacrifices, but we're really just trying to draw everybody out and then we're going to, we're going to ambush them. And there's this big battle where quote unquote, good Koatoa versus the quote unquote, bad Koatoa. And then full pitched battle. It seems like your side's winning. And then you notice that like basically in through all this destruction and blood being put in the water, the Demogorgon is like basically Whoa. been drawn to your location and like Godzilla oh, no. coming out of the water to Tokyo, it is about Fuck to yeah. just destroy everything. And in describing that moment, because up to this point, they had no idea what was going on beyond that. They were involved in some Kuotoa kerfuffle and they had just escaped from like this drow camp. And all of a sudden they look and they see just <laughs> this Godzilla sized monster come in and oh there's, there's nothing the look. Cause the, the book actually says to do this, like the, the, he comes up and he t- starts taking swipes at houses and stuff. So the, the, I think the book says like, roll your dice and then exclaim out loud. Like, okay, well it's a, it's a D 20 rolls. Like, okay. So that's 10 plus 12 to 22 to hit. And they're like, wait, plus 12 to hit. And you're like, all right, let oh, me roll damage. No. Like, oh yeah. So 40 damage. And then, oh. uh, yeah, so that, oh, that and it does double damage to structure. So it just completely obliterates this house. And then it's like, well, it has three more attacks. I'm like, oh my God, it has three more attacks. And then you can oh, see everybody shit. in the room just like looking around. And uh, there's always a moment, or there's a moment in that where probably 90% of the people that have played that adventure, there's somebody in the room that's just like doing the math in their head. You're like a second level character maybe. And they're like, we need to get <laughs> out of here. And there is like this moment of like intense, like, Oh my God, we need to go. And I think that, that, that as a DM, that's a really fun moment. And you can see for the players, it's a really cool moment because there is that kind of specter of, well, if they mess up, you're eating it. Like there is no way a level two yeah. character is going to survive an attack from this thing. Oh God, no. <laughs> so I, I think that's a really great moment. Um, there has been a couple moments as a player where uh, this was more in Pathfinder. I played a Magus and they have such, there's such a glass cannon in certain aspects where the DM was throwing up like a bunch of monsters at us and just through mm-hmm. some lucky rolls, a crit and some other magic that I was using. I was just like slaying down these skeletons. There's all these skeletons that were coming up higher level skeletons and I'm just like destroying them. And he's like, crap. I, and I can see in his face, he's like, crap, I needed, I should have brought, there is a moment as a player when the DM goes, I should have got more skeletons. It's not going to last as long as I thought it was. <laughs> and that moment for a player is really satisfying where you, the dice are on your side, your preparations on point, and you've kind of aced the situation. And Hell I yeah. think that doesn't happen super duper often. I don't think, but when it does, when everything just kind of like works, that's, that feels so good as a player. That's so awesome, dude. I, I've had those moments where my player, I can see that look on my players' faces when I'm like, shit, you guys are just blowing through everything. And they're just like, hell yeah. yeah. Like they're just cheering and stuff. <laughs> so it's I so had good. my first game uh, that I'd ever DM'd, one of the early bosses they faced was a chimera. And I'd been playing up this chimera Ooh. for like three sessions. Mm-hmm. Like you see it overhead and it's, like, it's nothing like you've ever seen. And it starts, you know, blazing out fire and it, it, it had destroyed all of these uh, commerce routes and was like stealing all of this stuff. And when they got to that final fight with a chimera, I just couldn't roll worth anything. It has oh, like three no. hits. So it has like, I believe it had does three attacks on a round. I was, I did not roll 
above a like a seven for like two rounds. Jesus. So it's just getting pummeled. And I'm like, and I, I didn't want, I wasn't thinking about it because I was so stressed. I'd be like, oh, it could just fly off. But I was like, no, 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 it's definitely going to like get them. So I, I, for, I kept on forgetting <laughs> it to fly. And then when I did realize, well, it needs to like be an actual threat. So I need to get it off the ground. Then the warlock like cast fly on two of the like a fighter and a barbarian. So I was like, well, there's no point now because the, oh, <laughs> the attacks on the ground are no longer a thing. <laughs> They're in the air. So that one became like a real whiff like they just destroyed it it was supposed to be this big epic battle and it ended up being a two round three round maybe slug fest of them just beating the crap out of this chimera (laughs) so i think that was a moment of super big letdown i mean they prepared for it i think they had done everything like they even took some they had like prepared against the fire damage. So I was doing the fire damage stuff because it, it can breathe fire because it's like a dragon head. But they were oh, yeah. buffed against it. So it wasn't really doing that much damage. And I was like, jeez, oh, oh, they were using armor of faith and all this other stuff. So even when I was getting a halfway good roll, they were just it was it just wasn't working. So I think that was one of the <laughs> biggest letdowns of my DM career. <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's amazing. Oh God! That actually answers one of the ones I was I was gonna be asking you. What was your most embarrassing moment? Oh, and man, I feel that was like an this one moment. it definitely would be not to put you down, but man, you whiffed it big time. Oh, <laughs> right yeah, it's just like, and at the end of it too, and they killed it. I was like, well, that's he's like, and I, I I pretty much exclaimed, well, that sucked for me. I don't know about you guys. Like, no, that was great for us. There was zero loss. <laughs> it didn't seem like there's anything bad going to happen to us. Nobody took like basically nobody took damage, and I was like, what? <laughs> Oh my god! That's oh man, so cool though. I love I, that. I, oh god, it bothers me to this day. It actually, I was so frustrated at the point because my dice just weren't working for me. I actually switched to an online dice roller, and that's when oh, I started wow. to actually get a couple of hits in. But it, it was all for god. not. Like it, at that point, the ship had sailed. They were, they were, they got me. <laughs> oh, nice. Trying to cheat there with them online dice, huh? I was just trying to get my dice to work, man. There was because <laughs> out of the 16 attacks or so that I was able to make, I think only two of them were able to hit. So oh, man. it was, it was just, it was a bad dice night for me. Sometimes they're on your side. Sometimes they are. I think at the next session I started like for whatever reason, I think the dice gods were back. I got like a couple natural twenties on them, but it was for like very small amounts of damage. Oh my God, um, man. Yeah. That's, that is just, yeah, I would be totally disappointed, but I mean, it happens like you, you have to like roll with those punches as a DM to just be like, well, you know, I got whomped, but everyone had fun, you know, Dead. and <laughs> though it's a disappointment, though it's embarrassing, you're like, you know, that's part of the game. And, and I think getting too upset about stuff like that is so trivial to me that like for horror stories of like, oh, you know, a player was having a bad night with a rolling whatever, and they just like got really angry and stormed off and like, you know, blah, 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 blah. And like, <laughs> that's just like blows my mind how people can react in such a way, you know? Yeah. Like, Take it a little too seriously so, sometimes, probably. Yeah, yeah, sure. Like, have you ever had any moments like that? It, it, just in your in your experience, in your long uh, history of tabletop <laughs> role playing games, of someone I, getting mad? Oh no, not really. I've had maybe one or two moments where things just weren't clicking with a player. I was I remember doing like it was supposed to be a one shot, but it ended up being like a two off. It was like a a little homebrew thing I had made because I was really into homebrew at that point, this kind of adventure where it was a jailbreak. They were like POWs and like they were basically going to escape and do this huge jailbreak. 
And I can't, one of the players I was playing with, for whatever reason, I don't think me and him were vibing. He um. maybe he was just used to a different style where he, he was trying to tell me at that point. I knew the I mean, I still know the rules really well, but I knew exactly what to do for everything because I was like so steeped in the book. And he kept on trying to tell me what I was telling him was wrong. And I was like, he's like, no, when mm. I'm raging, I have advantage on attacks. I was like, you definitely don't have advantage on attacks. You have advantage mm. on strength saving throws. And I think strength saving throws and like strength checks or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. He's like, no, 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 you don't, you, you're wrong. And I'm like, why? Like I'm the DM. You shouldn't be arguing with me. And yeah. there was a moment near the end where I was like, he was like, Oh, how do we get out of here? How do we break the gates? I was like, make a perception check. And it's like, Oh, really? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Oh, you see a wheel on the side over here that seems to be connected to the mechanism. He's like, well, I don't care about that. I'm going to blow the doors open. I was like, okay, you're a barbarian. <laughs> how are you going to plan on doing that? And he's like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do this, this. Okay, do it. And he's like, and I was like, okay, roll damage or whatever, roll whatever you're going to do. And he's like, he rolled really low. And I was like, that doesn't work. He's like, oh, what? So you're going to railroad me into using that? And I was like, it's an <laughs> option, man. Like I'm giving you options. You tried to do what you wanted to, but it, it you rolled like a two. Like, I don't know what you want yeah. from me. So that, I think that was the closest to having somebody like really frustrated at me. And I think it was really because he wanted to do what he wanted to do mm-hmm. regardless of what plans I had. And he was angry yeah. at me for trying to tell the story in a way that he didn't like, which I can understand that. But I, I yeah, I just never played with that guy again. I was like, I can't do it. Like, it's just not that's fun good, for though. me. I think that's important to no limitations of like, look, OK, either you can play by the rules of you as the DM or you can find a new table or something like and, that. And that should be respected by both parties enough to be yeah. like, OK, yeah, this is not going to work. I had an inkling that it wasn't going to be easy playing with him because we had dinner beforehand because um, two mm-hmm. of my friends introduced him to hi- introduced me to him and his wife and us, the them, the five of us were going to play and I was going to be the DM. And when we started talking about all this stuff and he was like, oh, yeah, I play, uh, I played AD&D, I play second ed- edition. And he's like starts talking about like all of these things he's done in previous editions to basically make himself unkillable God character. And there was a oh, comment gosh. from his wife that was like, well, yeah, because like nobody wants to look in all of this stuff when we're playing to like nobody wants to fight with you about telling you that you that stuff doesn't work at the same way that you think it does. And it doesn't stack. And he's like, well, that's not true. Yeah. I looked it up. And at that point, I was like, oh, God, I looked at his character sheet and it had all this stuff on there. And I was like, oh, boy, because um, <laughs> I was because uh, it was like a. I think it was like level seven. So they could get like one uncommon magical item and another common one. And he was at the get go, like asking me if I could avoid action economy stuff. He's like, well, this thing says I can do it as an action, but can I do it as a bonus action instead? So I can do all this other stuff. And can I also rage if I do it as well? I was like, Oh boy. Gosh, <laughs> like, I am sorry. <laughs> but yeah, so that I think is unfortunate. It just, I don't think we were vibing. And I think he, he, he wanted, he wanted to be the hero of the entire story, regardless of what was going on in the story. Uh, so yeah. that, that I think that was frustrating for him. It was very frustrating for me. That was probably the closest I had yeah. to somebody walking out. Well, I'm glad it didn't get like, you know, too heated or too bad between you two, because then it, it just puts a sour mood for a while on things, you know? Oh yeah, and, and for sure. Just, it's not good for anyone, you know. I do think that you were able to resolve that pretty quickly, it seemed, and just pretty well that, you know, it wasn't a bothersome thing to you anymore because yeah. who wants to have to have all that kind of baggage on themselves? Exactly. You know? It's a game. There's no need to take it seriously to the point of, like, anger. Yeah. 
And that's, yeah, it is a game. And, and I think a lot of people who do these sort of things like this player was doing, like, I don't, do they, I just don't know. I want to be in their head almost be like, do you not realize that you are here to have fun with others? Like you are yeah. not, this is not a game of like, I win, I win, I win. It's like, you're here to tell like a collaborative story to have fun, you know, overcome challenges and experience something just magical we'll say yeah, as a group it's all about it's all yeah, about it's just creating something together and i mean i'm sure i could probably be blamed for some like steam like scene stealing and maybe trying to talk a little too much but i think it's a very natural thing especially if you're a social person that likes to talk you tend to talk yeah. and i think of, of all my trespasses I think that can hopefully be forgiven in uh, in tabletop. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think so, especially as a DM. Like, that's your job is to narrate and talk. So why wouldn't you utilize those things to better set a scene or to better uh, give an emotional moment or just a, a really beautiful session? And you can't really get that through without speaking at length so yeah. i mean hey the small sacrifice uh, i'm willing to make <laughs> yeah absolutely though and, it, and i mean doing all this stuff you know makes us happy i think as dms you know i i get a lot of happiness about this of narrating and, and speaking to others about this just dnd in general just never fails to make me happy i can and agree I'm sure, with that 100 well good yeah yeah well my last question i'll say this besides dnd what makes you happy like well just what generally makes you happy besides D, besides tabletop role-playing games just what is it well of course my i have to i have to say my wife makes me very happy i'm kind of a outdoors person a little bit i, I love to hike i love to kind of be out in the sunshine at least for a little while i burn easy so limited amounts of sunshine i like doing stuff with my <laughs> wife i like collecting mm. things like as i said before i collect i mean this is kind of D related but i collect D books but i do that mostly for the art i just really love the art and the kind of the history around it, at least to, to a certain extent. So I like collecting things. I like hiking. I like cooking. I'm a really big food guy. Um, yes, dude. I am so into cooking. I, I kind of go in and out of it. Baking too. I'll kind of cook and bake myself out of it. Like I'll do it so much. It becomes a chore. I'll stop. I'll like simmer for like a month and then I'll just jump right back into it, <laughs> making all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, I love the challenge of it to kind of like, I'm going to make, beef burgundy two nights from now i need to collect all the ingredients oh, nice. i need to look over some recipes what am i doing what am i tweaking do i have a, all the spices and stuff i need and then trying to make it work with as limited interference as possible from like youtube videos like try to keep to the yeah. recipe and i you know giving it to other people and seeing what they think honestly i really enjoy that um so if I had one big hobby outside of D&D, probably my biggest would probably be like cooking and baking. That's amazing. I yeah. totally support that. What's your favorite dish? I want to know what's your favorite dish. I am such a sucker for like a really good chicken parm. Um, oh my dude. Right? Yes. Yeah. I, there is something about that combination of, you know, just like really nice, juicy chicken, nice firm coating. Uh. That that nice that nice <laughs> that nice sauce and some cheese on there, maybe some noodles underneath. That is like my go-to uh, for Italian food. Or honestly, if I don't know what I want for takeout, I know that I definitely want chicken parm. 
Um, how about you? Oh man. Well, you've got me just thinking about chicken parm now. <laughs> it's a, it's an I addictive would thought. Say it is like my mouth is literally watering and like my, my fridge is bare because my family had just visited for the weekend. So I'm like, <laughs> I want to go shopping and buy this now. Oh, my, yeah. my go-to dish though. So I've got a few that I often make. One of them I've, I mean, it's it's not like a family recipe, although I tend to think it is. It's as far as I know, it doesn't have a a real name. Some I've heard my friends call it like a Mexican casserole, but we just call it chicken chips and cheese. And it's literally like I I use like like just regular Doritos, like you know, cheesy regular Doritos. You got my attention. Um, (laughs) It's so you layer the bottom of this casserole dish with with Doritos, and by the way, you need to boil chicken. And you can just flavor them however you want, though. But just boil regular chicken for a while until it's cooked. And you layer – the way you layer it is like uh, Doritos, chicken, and then shredded cheese. I usually like to use like okay. sharp cheddar cheese or Mexican, you know, mixed cheese or whatever. And so after you've boiled the chicken and stuff, you you pour some of the, the water out and stuff like that. But you add a can of cream of chicken, cream of mushroom. And what I like to do is I like to get some – um. What are they? They're like the Dell or the the Rotel uh, tomato. Oh yeah, the chicken and jalapeno. Yeah, the the tomatoes and chilies or whatever. Yes, like get a can of that, put it all in there, whisk it up till it's like a soupy mix. And so once you've got those, you know, chicken chips and cheese layer, then you pour on. I like to pour it on a, a. a liberal amount of of this soupy mix on each layer, and so you just layer it up, basically nice. like a so like lasagna, like, and then you you finally crush up the last layer of chips on the very very top with a layer of cheese. You stick that in the oven at like four fifty for maybe twelve to twenty minutes till it's like Ooh. all nice, all the cheese is gooey, the soup is hot and all yummy, and it's like oh man, put that like also make some white rice while you're doing this. Okay, yeah, put yeah. that put this stuff on that like a plate of just white rice uh to die so it's kind of like it's a my deconstructed nacho casserole is what i'm getting here i guess so like it's it's so to me it's a unique thing because like i said <laughs> my my mother and father had made it for me and my brother since we were kids and so to me this is like a it's a family recipe thing but like in reality yeah it's probably just a deconstructed nachos and cheese but it's i can dig so that good there is speaking of uh nacho doritos there is a weird i don't know if it's a southern thing there's something from my childhood where it was uh like a not a nacho pasta it was a it's a taco salad quote unquote but it mm. uses nacho doritos and macaroni elbows as well as like a thousand mm. island dressing and something else. It's probably one of those weird Southern, it's definitely not Tex-Mex <laughs> or Mexican. It is some right. bastardized thing that somebody from the South probably made. But there's like this yeah. weird tender spot in my heart for it. Cause it used to be something I ate all the time when I was growing up, like go to a friend's house and they would have it. But yeah, it's just like weird oh, yeah. combination of things. And it's like, there's no, it's, it's like, it's not taco salad because I don't even think taco seasonings <laughs> in it, but it's got all this. Yeah. So I, I had brief moments of thinking of like that because it has a, a big component of that is the nacho Doritos, which I think is the only oh, nice. kind of semblance of a hint of a of a note of <laughs> like anything Tex-Mexy or Mexican in general. There's nacho oh, in there. Man. So good, though. But yeah, I love that. It, I'm trying to rack my brain of something similar because I like right now I've, I've lived in. 
so I live right outside of Little Rock in Arkansas. Okay, cool. And so like I'm just I've I've lived in Arkansas now for about ten years since I moved down from Illinois. I'm a Yankee, but uh, I'm trying to rack my brain of like any of my friends ever whipping out a dish like this, and it just like I can't think of it. So it's, it's, it's a it weird just, southern may, thing, yeah. Because I, I, I just grew up maybe in, have not come across it. Well, the first time I had it was in Florida because I, I was born in Florida, stayed there until I was about eight, and then I moved to North Carolina. And then for years I didn't have it. And then I went over to his friend's house in North Carolina. He's like, yeah, we're having taco salads. Like, oh, I like taco salads. Like, what's in it? Like, blah, blah, blah. He's like, oh, no, no, no. Our taco salad's way different. I was like, what do you mean it's different? <laughs> he starts ticking off the ingredients. I'm like, this sounds familiar. And then I took a bite and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I used to eat this crap all the time. Um, it's my like parents that, if you've it. ever seen Ratatouille, you've ever seen yeah. Ratatouille. <laughs> I had that kind it's of like, like that scene moment. of ego, just like yeah. no, legitimately, I, was, I I ate an entire bowl. I mean, it's it's probably really Ooh. bad for me, and I think anybody with a good enough palate would probably find it disgusting. But there's something about it that just <laughs> it brings me back to my childhood. Um, well, but yeah, yeah, you it, it's good though. It's so yeah. good. <laughs> I think I think it is a weird southern monster of a recipe <laughs> i mean i really want to try this now i really really do that's such a wonderful answer to what else makes you happy this like you know such strong emotional connections to food and like yeah. like you're just <laughs> you, you love this it's got memories tied to it it's just delicious for you it's a great i love it it's amazing yeah. well ryan this has been a hell of a good time just chatting with you man this has been really really fun no this has been great uh thank you so much for having me on this has been honestly this has been a blast it, it flew by i was actually really sad when you I said know. final question yeah I know it's always really disappointing for me too. And I'm like, okay, like I, I'm, I'm like <laughs> checking my, my list. I'm like, crap. Like it's, it's about that time. And I'm, I'm so disappointed. Cause like I could talk people's ears off forever. I feel like, but like it, it, it has been a really good time. And I, and <laughs> I love the fact that we, we didn't actually get into questions till about <laughs> 30 minutes in. Is that, I'm not editing out a single thing. Uh, good, good, good. I was going to say, well, I've only listened to, I think the first uh, two or three episodes. Is that a common thing or do you usually break into the questions pretty quick? Sometimes we usually break into questions pretty quick, but sometimes, you know, we'll shoot the shit. We'll banter for a while, which I, you know, I mean, like I like I told you before we record, like I just want you to talk about anything that you're passionate about or you find interesting. And like that's fine with me. It's totally fine. Like I don't care. <laughs> Listeners, <laughs> if you if you don't want to listen to that, skip ahead. Or if you can't stand it, don't listen to this podcast because this is gonna happen. Like yeah. it's it's gonna be it's it's if it's interesting to me and if I'm having a good time, I don't care. Like I'll put that in, no problem. I- if somebody listens to this and doesn't like it, please DM me at Dice Populi uh, <laughs> on Twitter. Like, I want to know what about it you disliked. And it's perfectly okay. I won't be offended. If you hate this episode, just let me know. Uh, and then we can talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you have a nice little sit down. Yeah. At me. I'll say that. Like, yeah. Find me on Twitter. At me. At and say, me. like, what the hell is up? What the hell is up, Austin? Like, you get your shit together. And I'll just tell you, <laughs> nah. But Ryan, it's it's been great, man. Absolute pleasure. Yeah. For the listeners who want to check out Dice Populi, can you please let them know when and where you could uh, they could check that out? Uh, yeah. So if you want to find us on Twitter, we're, of course, at Dice Populi. Uh, if you want my personal one, it's uh, Ryan underscore M-O-S-S-B. Uh, you can probably find me 
linked to the to Twitter anyway. If you want to listen to the podcast, we are twice monthly and sometimes thrice monthly, depending on how many Wednesdays there are in a month. And you can nice. find us pretty much anywhere major podcasts, any major podcast platforms are. So we also have a website, DicePopuli.com, but you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, uh, Podchaser, any of that stuff. Awesome, dude. Yeah, I, I will be putting a lot of different info in the description and links to everything. So listeners, please all check all that stuff out. Please check out Dice Populi and just like go follow Ryan, go follow Dice yeah. Populi. Like I've, we're, we don't great. just talk about the podcast all the time. We also do a lot of dumb meme stuff. And then I retweet <laughs> a lot of, you know, some minor political things. And uh, I usually retweet a lot of stuff that's happening in the community and, you know, my random thoughts. So if you enjoyed some yeah. nice little ray of sunshine occasionally, uh yeah at me or uh follow me it'll be well i'll reach out to you yeah definitely just get a big old follow chain going like we do yeah uh, <laughs> but but yeah man again ryan thank you so much for joining me it's been a wonderful pleasure i would love to get the chance to speak with you sometime in the future oh if, heck if you're yes. ever interested on a season two so oh yeah if you have a season two sign me up this was an absolute blast you're an absolute treasure and you should be locked up into this <laughs> iron bound chest you're amazing I'm, this show is really great I'm, I'm clawing from the inside. Let me out. Let me out. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining me. And listeners, thank you for joining us. I will see you the next time you open the Ironbound Chest. Hey everyone, it's the end of the show, so I figure we could do some shout-outs now for reviews that people have left on places like iTunes or Podchaser or wherever else you can leave a rating and review. This one comes from Captain Kirkle on iTunes who says, Love this podcast. The interviews feel natural and filled with fun conversation. Thank you, Captain Kirkle. I'm glad that you find them fun and that they feel natural. That's kind of what I some of my main tenants that I want to have here. So thank you very much. And listeners, if you would like to leave a rating review, please, please do so. Leaving them on places like iTunes and Podchaser really helps to get the word out of the podcast and to let people know that you really enjoy me doing this. So I just want to say thank you to those who have left reviews and to others who have not. Please consider doing so. Thank you, and I'll see you the next time we add some wealth to the Ironbound Chest.